mentioned in Genesis 14. Uh, he's mentioned uh, a few times in chapter 5 in Hebrews. And then he's mentioned in chapter 7. And there's not a whole lot uh, there pertaining to him. And I, and I believe that's for a reason. I heard uh, someone say this years ago, and I, I thought about it. You know, it's funny how the Lord brings things back to your remembrance, something you may have heard years ago and thought you forgot. I mean, a lot of things we do forget, but um, the question is this. Are you, as a Christian, after the order of Aaron or after the order of Melchizedek? And I believe personally that there are Christians who are after the order of Aaron, and, and then there are Christians who are after the order of Melchizedek. And I hope you understand this as we go on. We're going to read the, the first two verses. Now, Melchizedek, who is he? Who was he? Well, some scholars believe that he was Christ manifested in the Old Testament. Some believe he was Shem. Some believe that uh, he was an angel. Others believe that he was the Holy Spirit. So there's, there's plenty of speculation, so to speak, about Melchizedek. You know, you can talk to different people, different ministers, and you'll receive different things from different people. What I want to do today is pretty much stick to the scriptures. Uh, I think we're going to deal with this, with this this week and next week also, I think. But I want to stick with the scriptures, and as you see certain things mentioned about him, they start to paint a picture. Not much of a picture, but they paint a picture enough for us to see what is needful and necessary related to uh, Melchizedek. But I want to read the first couple of verses here. For Melchizedek, this is chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth of a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. And then we'll read verse 3 also. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now those first three verses... There's, there's quite a bit there that's going to help us see a few things about Melchizedek. Now, first of all, in verse 1, it says that he was the priest of the Most High God. So it, it points out, first of all, that he was a priest. Now, he's not a priest after the Levitical order, but he's a different priest after a different order of the Most High God. Now, this phrase, the Most High God, is, is not used very many times at all in Scripture. Uh, three times, maybe four times. Uh, one time is whenever 
um, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the fiery furnace, and Nebuchadnezzar steps up and he says, he calls them the servants, come forth the servants of the Most High God. It's also used uh, in, I don't know what, we're in Matthew, or I think it's in Matthew, where it talks about uh, the demon-possessed man who comes out to Jesus, and he calls Jesus the Son of the Most High God. And then you see it also when another demon-possessed person is following Paul around, and, he, and she says that they are the servants of the Most High God. So this, this phrase is, is very limited in the Bible. It's only used maybe three or four times in the entire Bible. But it's used here of Melchizedek saying that he was the priest of the Most High God. And I believe that that says something. Look at chapter 5, verse 6. And he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now that's a quote from Psalm. We're not going to go there. There's only one verse in Psalm that mentions his name. It talks about and that's all it says. It's actually referring to Jesus being after the order of Melchizedek. But anyway, in this verse here, you see this word order, after the order of Melchizedek. The word order there has two meanings that I could see when I was looking at it. One of them is talking about rank or, or position. So he is filling this rank or this position that is higher than the Levitical order. He's filling this place that God has ordained for him to fill because later on God is going to use that position that Melchizedek is in and he's going to compare that to Jesus being a perpetual or a continual priest. And so, so he, he brings this word in, and he shows that Melchizedek is on a different plane, if you will, spiritually. He's in a different place. He's from a different order or tribe than that of the Levitical priests. So the Levitical priesthood, as you remember when we were studying it, they were dealing with the, the natural commandment, the, 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 the physical commandment, where God would say, this is what the Levitical priest is to do, this is what they're to wear, this is what they're to, to function in at the altar, and, you know, offering up sacrifices. It's all dealing with, it says here, the carnal commandment, that's the phrase used in the, in the King James in chapter 7, but it's dealing with the physical. The word carnal is talking about the physical aspect of the commandment. That's what basically the Levitical priests started on that particular level. Melchizedek, on the other hand, testifies to the spiritual. Remember, you always have two things moving, uh, as I see in the scriptures. You have the natural or the physical, and then you have something that's, that's moving higher than that, which is the spiritual. You are a physical being, but you have a spirit that is, is different from the physical. So there's, there's two different 
realms or levels or however you want to say that, uh, moving in the scripture and in this particular thing here with Melchizedek in chapter 7. Now remember, in the wilderness, the Israelites mainly related to the law. And, and the priest related to the priesthood that, that was brought to them by Moses in the law. But Melchizedek is not related at all to the Levitical priesthood. It's not related to the law as I see it at all, but it's, it's related to that which is spiritual, that which is moving in a different way, in a higher place, in a, a, a much uh, higher order of things that God has ordained. So, so this Melchizedek, is, is dealing with this rank, first of all, or order, and it's also dealing, the word order from chapter 5 that we looked at, is also dealing with character. Character. Which I found very interesting because, I hate to even use the word spiritual, but you understand, they that are spiritual are those that have a different character. They're the ones that have the character of Christ to some degree in them or being worked into them. And because of that character that is being brought to the Christian and, and, and put in the Christian, they are able to move out from the law or the Levitical area, to another higher place, which is the spiritual place, the spiritual area, or the area that we see related to Melchizedek. So it's talking about rank. He has a higher order. It's talking about character. Something moving higher than, you know, down here you know, lower, this other area. So that's the first thing we see in verse 1, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Secondly, in verse 2, you see he's called the king of, of righteousness. Now remember that righteousness, first of all, speaks of character. You know, you can't have a righteous individual without some type of the character of Christ there uh, within them. So, so the two kind of come together. See, he was an upright person or a, a righteous person. And it can be said that he uh, was righteous or he was king of virtue. That's another, when you look at the word righteousness, it's talking about <clears throat> virtue and it's talking about quality. So that a person who is righteous has certain virtues in them. And there is a quality about their life that may be missing in those who are not righteous. Well, it is missing. You take someone in the world that is unrighteous, 
They're unrighteous, of course, we know because they haven't come to Christ, but because they do not have certain qualities in them that God would so desire to be in them because of, of where they are. So you say, well, how can you say that this quality is in Melchizedek? Well, he's called the king of righteousness, but also it's seen in that Abraham, who, who was the, the patriarch, <laughs> when you read in Genesis, it's, it, everything goes back to Abraham. And Abraham pays tithes to Melchizedek. So that in that very thing there, it, it testifies to the quality or the virtue that Melchizedek had. had. Now, the way, the way of righteousness is revealed in the Scripture. Now, going back into the Old Testament, when God dealt with Moses, he brings Moses up to Mount Sinai. And at that time, God begins to reveal the way of righteousness to Moses. And you see this in the contrast between the children of Israel in the wilderness and Moses. He had the, Moses had the, the quality or the virtue the way of righteousness was, was his way. He was learning that and walking in that. So much so, when you come to Psalm 103, it says that the children of Israel saw my acts, God says, but they did not know my ways, or Moses was the one who knew my ways. And so when he goes up to the mount to receive the commandments, Yes, he receives the law, but, but that was not all that he received. Because of his heart, God started to teach him the ways of righteousness, and that comes down to those, for example, Joshua and Caleb. They also learn the way of righteousness, you know, too. Now, whenever you see Melchizedek come out, to meet Abraham, he comes out, and remember, he is bringing now the way of righteousness because he, as it says here, is king of righteousness. And he brings that to Abraham because that is a part of his character, you see. And Abraham, and we'll see this in a minute, is going to see that and to some degree receive from him that which is going to help him along the way. So righteousness, you know, as it's saying here related to Melchizedek, is an attribute of God. And so, so this is beginning now to, to paint a little bit of a picture of of who this man was. The next thing in verse 2 it says is that he is king of peace. Now, this can mean that he makes peace. Now, turn to Matthew 5. 
verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who desire to maintain peace. If you go to work and you're working amongst 5, 6, 8, 10, 20 people in your office, you know, however many there are, it's not too long in that environment and you find out that there's not peace between individuals. This person can't stand that person, this person doesn't like the way that person does things, they don't like the way they look, they don't like the way they act, and it goes on and on and on. I, I see it every day. And you find out that, you know, what is in your heart? Are, are you a person that would like to see peace between individuals? And sometimes the Lord will have you do something to try to make peace, but for the most part, you know, that, that fails because there's no peace between certain people. But the point being, are you a peacemaker? Is that in your heart to make peace with others? Not just you and someone else, that's true, but even between other people. So in this verse it says, blessed are the peacemakers, those who, who work toward that, uh, for they shall be called the children of God, or actually they shall be called the sons of God. So, so there's, a, there's a development there within the person that makes them a peacemaker. So Melchizedek, I believe, was a peacemaker. And secondly, he had peace. Now, peace is something that is nice, isn't it? really nice to have peace. I mean, when you don't have to fret over something, you know, and you have, have the peace of God. But anyway, getting back to Hebrews, it says he's the king of Salem. The word Salem uh, in the Old Testament there is related to the word shalom. And the word shalom means peace or prosperity. So you see, uh, Melchizedek, he was king of righteousness and king of peace. And the word king should tell you something. It should tell you that, you know, that is a preeminent position. So he has this or holds this preeminent position in righteousness and in peace. So you see that, that this man has had God work in his life, and he's been, been moving in the way of righteousness for some time, however, however long that was. Now I want to say, and we'll look at a few scriptures here, that's... Uh, as far as I can see here, talks about him personally. Now I want to look at what he did, because what he did also is a reflection of God's work in his life, or it's a reflection of the character or the quality or the virtue that was in him. Go back to Genesis 14. Well, hold your place in uh, Hebrew, so I want to look at just couple verses real quick. In chapter 7, verse 1, now this may seem insignificant, but when I, I look at a, at a word, 
you know, sometimes I see more than insignificant in the word. For this Melchizedek, Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings. Now, first of all, it says he met him. Now, that seems like, well, okay, he went out and he met him. But there, there's more to the word. You know, I could, I could meet you. I could come up and just meet you. And then, hi, how are you doing? Okay, I met you. But the intent in this word, in this verse, is meaning that, that Melchizedek came and he welcomed him. He was attendant to him. Uh, it reminded me of the verse where it talks about the, uh, the elders and elders to be given to hospitality, or he's supposed to be hospitable. hospitable. And so that, that's something that is to be in the heart. It's not that you think, okay, I have to be hospitable, so I'll be hospitable. No, it's something in the heart that comes out. So, so Melchizedek, he goes out to attend to, to Abraham, uh, to, to meet him, to welcome him, to, to show him this hospitable heart, heart, which again is a virtue of God that, that has been placed in him. Something very, very, we would think would be minor, but, you know, somebody who's a Christian can show you... Uh, or, or put it this way, they can, they can do something as far as welcoming you that can do a tremendous thing within you. I remember years ago, uh, I was a very young Christian, just, just accepted the Lord, and I was in the military. And I had to go up to Upper State New York. And, of course, you know, when God saves you, He takes you from darkness into light, and, you know, it's like, oh, wow, this is really something. So meanwhile, I'm up there, and I was amongst darkness, and you wouldn't believe the stuff that was going on. And it was really affecting me in my faith, because I was so young. And I prayed, I said, God, I need help here. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. This guy walks in the door. I was in the mess hall. And there's all kind of stuff going on, sinful things that I won't even mention. And there I am. I'm saying, Lord, I need your help here. This guy walks in the door. He has this big picture of a finger going like this. Jesus, one way. And that may not mean anything to you. But when he came in, I said, are you a Christian? He said, yes. And just him walking over to me, shaking my hand, there was such a refreshing and a help to me at that time that if I wouldn't have gotten that, I often wondered, would I have wavered and fell away because of the intensity of the darkness that I was in at that particular time? I don't know. 
but God always knows what you need at the time. And so the very act of Melchizedek going out to meet Abraham, we don't know what's, what's all involved in that where he met him, you see. But I do know it's more than, hi, how are you? There's more than that, and, and we'll see that in a minute. Next of all, it says in verse 1, he, he met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Now, there are, you probably, I don't know whether you've ever thought of this or not, uh, there are three areas of the word blessing that I see right away, and you probably know this. Whenever you're a young Christian, the Lord does things for you and blesses you in ways that you know, are special, I think. That was one of them for me. And there were other times when the Lord did certain things that were just tremendous. And because you are, and it's just, this doesn't just apply to the younger Christians. This applies to us today, where we are. But we receive blessing from God in various ways. And so, so the heart of the Christian is to be there to receive. Okay, Lord, I will receive the blessing, whatever it may be. And sometimes God does some really nice things for us and blesses us maybe when we don't even deserve it. So the first area is, is receiving the blessing. Now, after the Lord does this and you continue on with him and you're walking with him, you eventually become a blessing because of the work of the Lord in your life individually, because he blessed you in different ways, because of the work that is ongoing in your life and what he's done. Now you become a blessing. And after that, you can be a blessing to others. And so Melchizedek went through the same process. He received blessing. I know it. I mean, it's not said. It's not, it's not, there's nowhere in the scripture it talks about that. But I know that he was a blessing to Abraham. And to be a blessing, he had to become a blessing. And to become a blessing, he had to receive blessing. So they're all, you know, inter, interlinked. And so when he, it says that, that he uh, <clears throat> went out to meet Abraham and he blessed him, he's blessing him uh, with that which God has done in his life. In other words, uh, it's not that he says, now, I'm going to be a blessing to you. And he gives him something. no. He's receiving something. He's receiving tithes from Abraham. But just his presence, just his presence, is a blessing to Abraham. Have you ever been around a Christian and just being around them was a blessing? Yeah. They might not say much. I mean, I don't know what Melchizedek said to him. Maybe not a lot. 
but yet there was this blessing that he was, he was holding in his, in his being. And just in the few physical things that he did, he met him. And we're going to see he, he gave him something to, to eat, eat and drink. Just through that, the blessing is transferred from the one who has become a blessing. Now he's going to be a blessing to Abraham. It's really, really good. Now the next thing we see that uh, Melchizedek did is in verse 6. But he whose descent is not counted from, from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promise. So you see again, he's, he's mentioning this word that he blessed him. But I want to show you here that he received tithes. Now, let me see here. Let's go back to verse 4. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily they that are of the sons of Levi, who received the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they came out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promise. And without contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. So this shows here that Melchizedek was in a different position than the Levi priests were. Abraham now is going to tithe all the spoils to Melchizedek. And it says later on in this chapter that Levi was in the loins of Abraham, and, and Levi, the Levitical order, tithed. They're the ones that, that were to receive the tithes as, as far as the law was concerned. They gave tithes through Abraham because they were in the loins of Abraham. They tithe to Melchizedek. So that, that shows us that Melchizedek was in this much, much higher place, this much higher position than the Levitical priests. Um, let me read this from another translation. Verse 6. Uh, but Melchizedek, who was not a descendant of Levi. Well, how could he be a priest? H how can he be a priest if he's not a descendant of Levi? Let me ask you this. Is Jesus a priest? Yes? Was Jesus of the descendants of Levi? He was of the tribe of Judah. But Melchizedek, who was not a descendant of Levi, collected a tenth from Abraham. And Melchizedek placed a blessing upon Abraham, the one who had already received the promises of God. And in verse 7, and without contradiction, the less, that's talking about Abraham, is blessed of the better. The word better there means um, superior. Uh, somebody have another translation? But he's, he's superior in rank or position is what it means. Or in character. He, he's superior in character and he's, he's also superior in function. Now, Genesis, let's go to Genesis 14. The next thing we see Abraham do, or excuse me, Melchizedek do, 
and that's that he's going to refresh Abraham. <clears throat> now, the setting here for this verse is that uh, there were four kings that rose up and made a league with, with each other, and they go down to Sodom and Gomorrah, and they, they war there, and they take Lot and, and the women and his, his, his family, and they take them captives, and they take them out somewhere and wherever they took them in the desert to another place, whatever. So Abraham here, hears that his nephew Lot was taken by these kings, and so he gets together his whole clan, divides them up, and they go out and they make war with these kings. Now, those two words, make war, doesn't really tell us what they went through. I mean, you go out, it's not like today, you know, modern warfare is not like it was back then. You know, they actually pulled the swords out and they were wielding them. And it doesn't take too long of, of slinging iron around, you find out that you get very tired. So it was very physical. So Abraham goes out and does war with these four kings. Now the verse we're going to read is whenever they defeat the kings and he brings Lot and, and his family and the women, children, whatever, he's bringing them back. This is when Melchizedek runs into him, or go, he leaves, he goes out of Sodom and he goes, or Salem, and goes out to meet Melchizedek. That's the setting, verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. So he brings out this bread and wine to refresh Abraham. Now there's two things here that he's doing that I can see. First of all, as I said, you have Abraham who has just expended the energy in his body. And he's probably dragging, he probably needs physically refreshed. And so he brings him this bread and wine, and when he, he starts to take this, physically it's going to restore or renew or refresh him. The second thing, and I thought this was very interesting, because in Hebrews it, it says that Melchizedek met him, Abraham, when returning from the slaughter of the kings. But when you come back to Genesis, it says here that Melchizedek met Abram, not Abraham. And I think that the difference is significant. Abram was the one who left Ur the Chaldees and was in the land, now going about, walking with God. And Abraham is the one who is promised and receives the promise of Isaac. Now, between the time that 
Abram leaves Ur of the Chaldees and, and uh, is promised a son is 24 years. And after uh, his son is born, Isaac, there's 25 years from the time he leaves. And he's called then Abraham. So when he meets Melchizedek, when he's returning from the slaughter of the kings, he is Abram. And when Melchizedek gives him bread and wine, he is also testifying to him of the way of righteousness, and he is carrying in him the character of God. And when Abraham meets him and he takes this bread and wine, that is going to be an encouragement for him to move on with God from being Abram to Abraham. And it's going to strengthen him. It's going to renew him. And and as he sees Melchizedek, it's going to encourage him to continue in the way so that he also will receive the promises of God, the fulfillment of them. So he refreshes him. And I, I believe that those are the two purposes behind it. Because he's eventually going to be, remember, he's going to be Abraham, the man of God. And so the Lord, you know, I, I was, I'll be honest with you. When I started Hebrews, I was kind of, this was the only chapter I was really saying, Lord, I really, when I come to that, what am I going to teach? I don't know anything about Melchizedek. You know, so, okay, you're going to have to show me something. <laughs> But if you actually look at the the scripture and you start to see these little things he says about him, as I said earlier, it starts to paint this picture of the way of righteousness. It it paints a picture of of this man who God used, who God worked in, who, who God used. Now, it says that, let's go back to Hebrews. It says that he's without genealogy verse 3 without father without mother without descent and if you get other translations like the NIV uh, a lot of the translations say he's without genealogy now just because the bible does not give us the record of his father or mother does not mean he did not have father or mother. What it means is it's not recorded. Now, it's interesting because if you look from the beginning of the Bible throughout, you see certain areas, like in Matthew, uh, in in Joshua, where it's like the genealogy is just like painstakingly written down, and it shows you all the genealogy so you can trace, you know, from Abraham all the way down to Jesus. Well, if, if that's the case, if, if the genealogy is so precise, then why is not Melchizedek in any of the genealogy? 
Have you ever thought about that? Why not put him in there? He is not of the Levitical priesthood. This is testifying of a higher and a better priesthood. In Hebrews 7, 7, And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better or the greater. The NIV says without genealogy. This is why some people believe that Melchizedek was an angel. And they have these different, you know, different people they think that, that was Melchizedek. But in verse, let me see where it is, verse 4. Now consider how great this man was. I believe he was a man. But even if you go and you, you look at that word and study the word man, you're going to see that it's not, it doesn't really tell you, it doesn't say man. It just is, it's a masculine pronoun that refers back to Melchizedek. That's it. All that genealogy, you know, without descent, without father or mother, it's all in the, in the gray area, so to speak. Not shown. And why would God not put that in the genealogy? Anybody tell me? Do you have any idea? I believe that what the Bible does not say many times says volumes. God didn't put it there because he's going to testify of certain things, one of them being that Melchizedek had a hidden ministry with God or a hidden life with God. Something that no one saw and knew for the most part. They said that you could see the results um, because of the virtue and the character he had. You can see that, yes. But the actual working there of, of the Lord what was going on there in him was not seen. And let me read a couple verses. And I, put them, I printed them here to save time. Psalm 51.6 Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. So there, there's, there's this hidden thing in the scripture that the Christian that walks with God can move into. There's a, there's, a, there's a different place there. It's a hidden area that God will, will work and develop that individual in. And it, this whole thing with Melchizedek is, is hidden. It's a hidden ministry he had. Nobody knows what, what, you know, no beginning of days recorded, no end of life recorded. For the reason... I'm getting ahead of myself, but for the reason that Jesus is going to be compared to him. And Jesus did not have beginning nor end of his priestly ministry. It's not going to end. It's going to be continual. As it says in Psalms, God spoke an oath concerning Jesus, saying, Thou shall be a, a, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 83.3, They lay crafty schemes 
against your people and consult together against your hidden and precious ones. Against your hidden and precious ones. Uh, Isaiah 45, 3. I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches stored in secret places or in hidden places. And, and that which is stored in the hidden place, to, to get that, the person is going to have to be hidden with God. 1 Corinthians 2, 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. 1 Peter 3, 4. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible. See, there's the hidden man that nobody sees. For the most part, as I said, the hidden man, what goes on there in, in relationship is not seen. What went on with Melchizedek, the whole, not only his, his hidden time with God, but his life also. It's all, all hidden there because he had a hidden ministry. He that hath an ear to, ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. See, so there is a manna that is hidden, <clears throat> hidden that we can partake of. Verse 3, neither beginning of days nor end of life. So this doesn't mean that he didn't die. It just means that it wasn't recorded that he died because the Lord's going to be compared to him, to his life, which is quite something. It says, it's three different translations. Well, let me, let me just continue on here. There is no record of his father or mother or any of his ancestry, no beginning or end of his life. There's no record. That's what uh, one translation says. He remains a priest forever, resembling the Son of God. Now, I, I was thinking about this. There, this is a phrase here in his verse that says, made like unto. Now, let me read that from three different translations. Like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Uh, he continues to be a priest without interruption and without successor. Uh, he remains a priest forever, resembling the Son of God. I just read that. Made like unto. Now, I thought this was... Now, this is... I, I, <laughs> this is how I'm, I'm seeing this. I'll just give it to you. Was Melchizedek perfect? I don't think so. If he was a man, he wasn't. Did he have faults? Did he sin? If he was a man, yes, he did. All that is not brought out. God just keeps that underneath a blanket, so to speak. The only thing he's going to bring out of this man's life, and he was a great man. It says that in Hebrews. See how great this man was. What God's going to bring out are certain qualities from Melchizedek that are going to apply to Jesus, and only that. The rest is just hidden. It's probably another reason why there's not anything recorded about him. As if the Lord would record some fault like we see with the other patriarchs, you know, you, you see different things with them. You know, where they, they did certain things, they made mistakes and what have you. David made a mistake. 
If that were recorded about Melchizedek, then how, how could, could God compare that to Jesus? Remember I said, well, yeah, okay, then Jesus must have sinned too because of Melchizedek. You understand what I'm saying? That's, that's how I see it. So God just takes certain qualities, he brings them out, puts them out there to show us what's going on in Melchizedek's life that is of the way of righteousness and how that compares to Jesus and how Jesus' priesthood and his ministry of, of being a priest relates to Melchizedek. Now, we're, we're going to stop there, and I want to continue on with that next week. Uh, and maybe you can do some research, see if you can find anything else out about Melchizedek that, that's not covered. No. Anyway, we'll stop there and continue next week.